How many people know what John's name means? The Lord is gracious. So good towards us, eh? And um, the book of John is the testimony of John. So it's John giving testimony to the life he was in in Christ. It's him testifying of what he knew through revelation. And it's a reality that we can all enter into because it's for us. So the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? Be good to know. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everything that Christ has accomplished, we can know. And it's that place that you give testimony to. So everything he's done is the Holy Spirit goes to work in us around everything that Jesus has accomplished within you. You then prophesy. So you speak of the reality that you've entered into and it's entered into you. You give light and life to what is happening within you. It's a declaration of the work of Jesus Christ in you because Jesus has done all things, has he not? So his testimony, he has done all things, it's all finished, and everything has come into being through Jesus Christ. So there is a reality for you and I to enter into through the power of the Spirit that enables us then to be the recipients of what he's done, The truth will make you free. Jesus Christ will bring healing. Jesus Christ will renew your thoughts. Jesus Christ will form you into his image. So then you're able to prophesy, which is to speak of the eternal transformation that God is doing within you and I. Let me share you about the healing power of Christ on the inside. Let me share share with you about how my mindset was so messed up in relation to my identity and the Holy Spirit has renewed my mind through the testimony of what Jesus accomplished when he died and rose again. Let me give life and light to the reality that's in a Christ, but it's in the eternal person that we can all know if we are hungry and thirsty for eternal life. The Bible says to know him is eternal life, correct? So this reality of knowing him, and John has a knowledge of God that he writes down. This is not a written book, this is a spoken book. The book didn't exist, it was spoken into being. So it's a spoken, written book word. It's one and the same thing. So the written word is the spoken word. The spoken word is the written word. It's the eternal word which builds and changes and transforms the body of Christ. So how do we become Christ-like? Through receiving the eternal word. In the beginning was the eternal word. The eternal word was with the Father. He is the Father. And then that eternal word came down to earth to build people of eternal substance. But the eternal world, reality, was not comprehended by earth. Okay, John 1 verse 5, or 1 to 5. But there was this man called John who was sent by God 
to testify of the eternal word, the light. For he had implanted within him the Holy Spirit in the womb of his mother before he was even born. He knew stuff before he even popped out. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And he was looking for the one. He was there to prepare the way for the one who was coming, who was the eternal word that others didn't comprehend. And so we're going to pick this up in verse 9. And we're just going to go from 9 to 13. And there's some really key stuff in here around being a child of the natural or a child of the spiritual. There's some things around here around what does it really mean to know him, not just know about him. So it says this in verse 9, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. We're going to look at that. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Pretty sad, isn't it? You create all things and no one knows you're the creator. So the creation is disconnected from the creator. But the creator is the one that holds life and enlightens every man. But man doesn't know his creator, so he can't be enlightened. And so if you're not enlightened, what are you in? Darkness. Plenty of people in darkness. It's sad, isn't it? He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. It's even sadder. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not based on anything physical. It's not based on whether you came from royalty or whether you're a peasant. It's not based on whether you are rich or whether you are poor. It's not based on your ethnicity. It's not based on your bloodline. It's not based on your colour. It's not based on whether you have hair or not. Thank you, Jesus. It's not based on whether you're black, white, pink, yellow. It is all based on a decision God made before any of us were born. So John comes to bring to light this eternal dimension which as earthlings we can really struggle with, can't we? Like, I'm not sure about you, but some of the things that you read, and especially when I first committed my life to Christ, it all seems outside of my dimension, and it is. Like you read about a reality that's just, you don't have a reference for it. You're like, what on earth are you talking about? Like this, I have no concept of what you're even talking about. And God goes, that's all good, but do you want to? And it's like in John 4, you know, when Jesus is standing with the woman at the well, it's like this app, the apostle, who's sent from above to reconcile mankind meets an earthling. And there can't be two more different people side by side having a conversation than that. And yet the woman doesn't have a clue who he is, but he knows who she is. Like he's read her mail. He knows the issues of her heart. He knows what she loves. He's got the download on her because he's the eternal one. But she's got no concept of the eternal one. 
And they're having this dialogue. And it's interesting when earth and heaven talk, they talk on different stratospheres. Where's your bucket? Don't need one. I got a water that you'll never thirst again for, but you'll always thirst for this water. Hey, lady, go get your husband. Don't have one. I know you're on to your sixth one because I know you're looking for true substance that's going to quench this thirst. And I hold it. And you see this interaction between heaven and earth, and it's fascinating. And so John comes and he comes to testify to the church so the church could truly be of the eternal substance so the eternal would know when the eternal one speaks. Like the church wouldn't go, duh, don't get it because we're of that kind. We would go, yes and amen. A little bit like this morning when you heard people agreeing with what was being said, there was a yes and an amen. My spirit is making a connection with that spiritual word that's coming out and there's an intrinsically linked connection that I cannot but say, yes, I agree. And this is this challenge and what John is doing, he is declaring through the natural, this eternal substance, this eternal word that sits in an unseen realm but it's turned up on earth. And so I want to ask these guys, what does it mean? Or, you know, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. What on earth does that mean? And I hope we can answer from experience, not theology. Oh, talk to me about your enlightened state. Well, theologically speaking... <laughs> Hold that thought. <laughs> <laughs> I got it wrong. <laughs> and, I, and it really was, that, that whole um, uh, study it up experience. I, 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 know, I know when I encountered Christ, and I know that had, that very thing you're talking about, you know, there's this, this word that's been spoken, and from a kid, you know, lying in bed on Sunday morning and tuning into a Christian radio station, hearing a word from... Well, the sinful church was an AOG and we went to Catholic, so you're not really supposed to tune into them, but never mind. Um, but you know what I mean? I mean, as a kid, I just had it on the radio and I tuned it in. Well, why wouldn't you just change the channel and listen to music? And I would listen and could hear this guy speaking, and there was something in the word that's drawing my spirit to it. I didn't understand it, I just knew lean in. And then when I encountered Christ and had the experience where I recognised and realised I needed to I needed to give my heart to him, I give my life to him I did that I even had an encounter with, with the Father where he showed me the Father's love but this, this experience of the light entering into the world that bit, I was certainly around it and around a lot of people who were um, you know, expressing different versions or, or you know, capacities to express that love in a physical way that was I'd never seen that before. These are in church environments, but the the capacity to actually change the person's heart and my heart, doing all these things, so earnestly desiring to do the right thing, and not recognizing 
it takes that light to penetrate in and bring that light so that that right thing's actually coming out of me. And, you know, I was just surprised when I was looking at this and it says this true light. Well, why would you say true light? Why don't you just say light? Because there would be an indication there's another kind of light. You know, and it says that, that Satan himself comes as the angel of light. Well, I don't think that's the true light. Not if he's involved. And it's interesting where that scripture f- comes in from. Where Paul's saying, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that you'll be deceived like Eve was from the simplicity of your devotion and your love for Christ. So there's something else that's at play here that having received the light, that there's a, a, a caution to be deceived and now head off. I mean, clearly, if, if, it doesn't look like, if it doesn't look like light, you're not going to want to follow it. So there's this concern of deception of entering into something that certainly from my experience has been a lot of, of work towards it. And really, to, honestly, it's, it's in recent years where he's been breaking down those barriers. This apostolic word has been hitting and penetrating and recognising that that song I think we sang this morning about it was a weight off your shoulders. Yeah, a, a full load of the weight of the world off my shoulders and to a greater experience and a greater experience, a greater revelation of his light penetrating the darkness so that light comes out. And, and I'm, I'm very careful now to be aware of my behaviour, how, how I'm responding in something, going, wow, how's that happening? Or, ooh, wow, why is that happening? You know, and knowing, well, the answer is not, we'll try harder. It's more, more of you, Lord, more of you penetrating, showing, reveal. Awesome. To what depth does he want to enlighten us? So this innermost part is the is the like the central place where all of life flows out of, and until light comes in there, there's no change. You know, if light comes in here, there becomes a response from the darkness that's in there, trying to become the light that it now knows about, and and that. Is really screws you up. Yeah. Personal testimony. <laughs> um, so it's that you know. I think that's that's the thing that he he keeps on and and needs to open open us up and cut through to that place um, with his power because we can't. There's no point navel gazing, trying to. You you can't actually access that place. Um, it's that is something that the power of God does in you, and and 
causes a, a crying out for truth in that place. Yes. And, and the, the, the enlightenment when, when he does, and I, and I think, I don't for a moment think it's a one thing that happens just once, because I think he's constantly having to till us and, and bring, bring to light what we don't know and bring, bring light into darkness. And um, the, 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 the change is literally like, it's a bit hard to describe a, a, something that is so supremely different. You can talk about night and day and you talk about a dawn coming not a dawn that you've seen before, but of a completely different substance, and and it's that it's that that he wants to birth in us because he's bringing us into what he knows and what he's seen, but what we've never seen. So we're blind, completely blind, and and in darkness until that light comes in. And I'm just thankful that he can come into blindness. <laughs> And he can he loves us that much to pursue us in our blindness to um, you know to the point until we will relinquish and and desperately seek um, so it's from the very the very depths of us that I've, I feel that he needs to and when he does he does enlighten us from that place and that's really the start isn't it yeah so what Paul and Sandra are describing is really the start of being enlightened. And then there's a whole kingdom that he wants to enlighten us into and with. Like there's a whole dimension that he brought with him when he turned up and said, it's a new day. I've now complete and fulfilled the law. And so what was is now fulfilled in me. And I bring with me the dynamics and the dimension of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so it's not just being awakened out of darkness, because we all start in darkness, don't we? Like, it's fascinating. Now, he is talking here to his own people, the Israelites, but really he's talking to everyone. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Now, we've all been predestined before the foundations of the earth to be his. And so we all start in darkness. I start trapped in sin and iniquity. I'm bound up in something that I can't get out of. And so only he can come and enlighten that reality and through his resurrection power bring me out of darkness into light. So mankind did not recognize him when he turned up. And so he comes with a sent purpose to enlighten. Even that sounds a bit new agey. Because the new age is taking it and abused it and created a counterfeit. And so we talk about, oh, I've been enlightened. No, not in the context that we need to be enlightened. And so I just want to read you the words of Paul because he uses the same word. In Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, which is the place you see from, isn't it? Because you're seeing into the eternal dimension. So he's not, I pray the eyes in your head. 
because they can't see anything. We're talking about spiritual sight. And he knows the heart is the place of sight. He knows the heart is the place of understanding. So we need to be enlightened in the heart. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that, and he's going to list four things, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. People are still asking what the will of God is. Do you know why? Because our hearts have not been enlightened to his calling. You're still darkened in your understanding in the heart because you have yet to receive revelation via the Spirit that would bring you from darkness to light. You're waiting to be enlightened into the reality of what God's calling is. It's not the church's calling, it's God's calling. Everything starts and finishes and ends with him. And so Paul knows this because Paul didn't know it. Because Paul is one who didn't know Jesus when he turned up, correct? Yet he was predestined to know him. So John is writing about Saul. And then we see this other guy now called Paul, who actually has been enlightened to something. So then he too testifies of what he's been enlightened to. Just like John is testifying to what he's been enlightened to. So the oneness and the dynamic of this fellowship is incredible. So he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Number one, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We're all called to be saints, yes? So you're going to be brought into what the inheritance is that God has for us as the church, not as individuals, as the church. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? So there are three things that God wants to enlighten every follower into to receive. Why, Greg? What happens, do you think, if you get the revelation of those three things in you? Transformation. And what do transformed people do? Lots. Yeah, the will of God. Why? Because they know what the will of God is. So you can't do something you don't know, correct? And that's what John is testifying to here in 1. When he says, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave them the right. Sorry, in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. When you don't know something, you don't receive it. You're probably going to reject it. And they didn't know him, so they rejected him, correct? Instead of receiving him. And so there are things yet to be discovered through being enlightened through the power of the Holy Spirit because in the next verse it tells you, it says these, which are those three things I read out, are in accordance So. Whenever you see that, those three are in accordance to something else. So the only way these three things are going to become our reality is in accordance to what? The working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand. Mm. 
So the way these three things are going to come about is through resurrection power. The very thing that the church can't do. See, knowing that, that is to reposition you. So if you're hearing of a reality that's been testified, so John was testifying, Peter testified, Paul testified, they all testified of a dimension for the body of Christ. But when you can hear that but know that you can't actually enter into that without him, it repositions you and resends you and directs you into him. Because you're being made aware of a dimension that is for you that you can't do in you. And now if you can't hear it, then it's really just like, whatever. So the declaration has just gone out. Paul is saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart, the place of understanding and hearing, would be enlightened, would come alive, would go from darkness to light. What for? In the knowledge of God, the very thing that we all need. So he testifies and gives us three things. So you would also know what the inheritance is in the saints because you've been called to be saints. And that you would know what that means to be a saint, but know what the inheritance is for you as a saint now and the future. Doesn't someone need to die for the will to be released and the inheritance? Has someone died? So it's all, it's all available right now today, isn't it? So where are we at with this? Because it's an eternal dimension. It's an eternal word. But it's all in accordance to resurrection power. Now, if we haven't even been resurrected in the way these guys are describing as a starter, then you'll never be able to access something that's beyond that place because you're trying to access it through the mind, and it's not a mind game, it's a heart game. He doesn't say, I pray the eyes of your mind would be enlightened, does he? So if we're still the source of our own hearts, our own lives, then we're trying to access stuff that we'll never access. So there must be a death and a resurrection of a divine work of power. And so this whole gospel about mental agreement and believing in what's true isn't going to cut it, is it? Because if we've all believed in that for years, and I ask you to describe what the inheritance is that's for you and you can't, is a bit of an issue, isn't there? Why? Because it's not that we're bad, it's because that we have been called as saints, we've been called as sons, we've been called as disciples to prophesy into the earth the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about what he's done. Let me tell you about life in him. Let me tell you about my transformed state. Let me witness to a desperate, dying, lost, hurting world who need Jesus, but if the church doesn't know Jesus in a testimony form of life transformation all we've got is about a guy who died on a cross and it means nothing to them because they have no like it says idea of what sin even is they go I'm not sinners I'm good so just like you see here when he came they don't receive and this is how weighty this is It's a divine responsibility to say you're going to be a follower of Jesus. Like, don't sign up if you don't really want to become a disciple. Because he's going to expect much. And that's what this morning was, yeah? 
Like there is an expectation that we live a kind of life. There's no way around it. So the testimony goes out because everything that's being said is connected to a very purposeful, intentional will. And it's singular. It's not ten. It's not about what I'm looking for, you're looking for, he's looking for. It's about what he's looking for. And from that, then life spreads in freedom. And so Paul writes it down. He writes it in all his books. It's not just in a book. It's in every book because he's trying to awaken something that he knows he can't awaken in his own strength. That's why he's praying. That's why one of the greatest things you can do as a follower is pray. That's why the early church devoted themselves to prayer. How did Peter get out of prison? The church were what? Earnestly praying. Fervently praying. The funny thing is, when he turned up, they didn't even believe it was him. (laughs) That cracks me up there. They had more faith. They said, no, it will be one of his angels. They had more faith for his angel to turn up than for him to actually turn up. Which also means angels are real. And you all have one or two. And what's the purpose of your angel? Minister unto salvation, salvation, which is the entire process of salvation, not just getting you out of darkness and into light, but going from light to light to light to light to light. Because we've been called to be the what of the world? The light. And John is testifying about the? The So he's testifying about Christ, and we are to be of who? Christ. Christ. So in Christ is life, and that life is the Light. light of who? Men. It's powerful, isn't it? You want to add? Want to add? There are those heaps, but <laughs> now I forgot my other words. Every time you say something, oh yeah, oh 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 oh. <laughs> but you know, I just thinking about you know the the light that's within, and and the the contrast to to living my life. I'll. I'll self-personalised, right? So living my life, wanting to be that light and needing to have that light in me and what that's like when the light does come in. You know, there, there was an incident where I work during the week, a guy collapsed in, in the toilet, they had to get him out and it ended up sort of with this guy until the, the ambos turned up. But you know how when the, someone's lying down, they get a torch and, hello, anybody home? And you look in there and see if there's any light in there. And the guy, no. Um, eventually, he came round and he and he was okay. But I, I was just thinking the same. It's like you know, hello, is there anybody in here? And and the light. He's he says, you are the light of the world. Well, if I'm the light of the world, that means that light has to be in me, not around me, in me. And there's uh, that 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 power that it talks about. This resurrection power. That's a power not of my own. But of him that enters into me and that willingness for it. And I couldn't help you know from reading this saying he comes into the world and the world doesn't know him, so not looking for him, but he comes to his own. And this is a bit that gets me. His own, they can't say that they didn't know, because they're supposed to know. They had the prophets that told them. 
there was going to be one who's crying out in the wilderness, Isaiah 40. Well, they knew John was out in the wilderness crying. Hey, he's coming. So how come they weren't getting it? It's because of a hardened heart and the pride of life and the pride that we've got this system. Well, we're no different to them. And so it takes this divine um, work to, to kick in. It says, and yet the very thing that they couldn't get, Romans tells us that they couldn't enter in because they were trying to um, live this life by law, but the law was to be by faith. Well, they didn't believe that, so they couldn't enter into it, and yet it comes for us the same, to believe by faith. For those who believe, he gives the right. But, oh, well, I just believe, but not fully, because it takes in that faith, it takes that revelation, it takes something more than just, oh, I believe. I know that because I believed, but didn't receive the fullness of that in me. Yeah, the, the challenge is being of the kind, isn't it? So, like, none of us start in the spirit, do we? Which means we're not of his kind. So, if you put that into the natural, if you plant an apple seed, you get an apple because the seed is of its kind of apple isn't it but none of us are of the seed of Christ so the reason why they can't hear him is because they're not of his seed yet are they even though it's been written down about him they don't have the spirit because the entire thing we know the law is spiritual so when he turns up because they're not of his kind even though they are Israelites they're still not of his kind because he's of spirit So they think they are, this is the problem, to which Jesus says, you are mistaken because you don't understand the scriptures, nor do you understand the power of God. You see, they said we're of Moses. Jesus said, if you were of Moses, you'd be of my kind. You're actually not of Moses, you just think you are. Because Moses was of me and he wrote about me. Because he was of my kind. And this is the challenge where... God has to enlighten every single person into the spirit because it's a kind of. And that's when we start recognizing and hearing and being drawn to what's being declared because the seed, the word of God is a seed and it's a spiritual word. So like this morning, if you heard that declaration, you would be running into his arms not wanting to be a foolish virgin. If you can hear what's really being declared and then he opens it up and you see it, just like them, they would not have killed Christ, would they? So my question that I want to unpack is, what we don't know, we don't receive. How does a lack of knowing impact our receiving and why? What we don't know, we don't receive primarily. How does a lack of knowledge, knowing, impact our receiving and why? Because our, what we know is the parameter which we live in and we don't want to go anywhere near what we don't know. And and there's not an understanding that there might be something that we don't know. <laughs> um, because 
the, the appetite for what you don't know is something that I believe he births um, in the seed when you're born again. There's this appetite for what is hidden for you, but without without him doing that work in you, it's like I'm I'm right, Jake. You know, um, and you know how it says, you know, things that haven't even entered into the heart of man. You know, I mean that is so clear that they're not things that we can come into by thinking about it or it's my idea, it's my... I mean, to me, that's almost like a signal. Is it revelation? Well, did it enter into your heart by you? <laughs> you know, if it did, it's probably not revelation. You know what I mean? It's, it, it, when, when he enlightens, it's like a, it's like a, a, a flash of a camera going... And you see what you had no idea was even there. And that's how the Spirit illuminates us. And, and that is the way that he opens up his realm to us. It's always that way. And um, so I, I think the, the, we don't know what we don't know, but it's that... You know, I, I know for, for us when we came to the rock and we, you know, started hearing Greg talking about the bride, for instance, it was like we've never heard this ever. And and when we were just hearing the testimony and seeing the life lived, we'd never seen it. We'd never experienced it. We didn't have it, but we'd never experienced it. But the seeing it and hearing it caused a hunger to go for what we didn't know and what we don't know is continually what the what the the journey is that that there's a there's a desire and a hunger now to go and ask and seek and knock because it's not just doesn't just happen he has to um he has to reveal it through our hunger and our seeking of him um so it's that appetite for me, is is massive, um, and the testimony is part of his grace, and he's testified through so many things. He testified through John. He testified through the works that um, that Jesus, the Father, gave Jesus to do. It says this in in John three. You know, he testified. The Father testified about Jesus Himself, and the prophets testified, and. You know all of these things, and you know even when uh, what was it in later on in John one, and it says um, someone says uh, in about forty four, Philip was from Bethsaida, da, da 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 da. He went and found Nathaniel and said to him, "We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote." So there's there's a there's a testimony that's that's been heard and there's a going after and there's a paying attention which is what you know he talks about in in second peter about see that you pay close attention until the the dawning in your own heart of the morning star coming up it's um yeah, second peter one nineteen. if you want to go and have a look at that and it's it's this 
desire that this that is there, but there is a paying a close attention and a going after and an asking and a seeking. Um, so that's what the testimony is for, to say, what is that? And what I find fascinating with this whole area of true knowing, and even just what Sandra spoke from in John 1, we found the one that Moses wrote about. And yet Peter still needed a revelation that he was the Messiah. Because they knew about, because it had been written, but they didn't know him. Hence, why does Jesus have to ask them, who am I, if they actually knew who he was? So he knew they didn't know who he was as Messiah. That's why he asks, even though it's written. It's crazy, isn't it? But it's the true reality of the spiritual, of the eternal or the earthy. Is it's this difference between knowing about intellectually and knowing of via the Spirit. They sound the same, but as we looked at and spoke from this morning, they're from two completely different trees. So one brings life and one just brings good knowing or knowledge, but it's not life. And this is our challenge. Um, And so, you know, this how does a lack of knowing impact our receiving? Massively. Like they reject their Messiah because they didn't have knowledge. His own family thought he was out of his mind because they didn't have knowledge. Because who did they think he was? Say it again, Ollie. Listen to this in Luke 3. When he began his ministry, so now he's 30, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. So you can understand why they are so anti-Christ when he says, I'm the son of God. That's blasphemy, isn't it? Like that is you are blaspheming and you deserve death. So in their minds, what they did to him was absolutely on the money. They had a conviction of the law that they believed through flesh and their action was to nail him to the cross because he was blaspheming and blasphemy under the law, you're killed. So they followed through on their conviction because they did not know he was the even though for years and years and years they are waiting, they are holding the scriptures, they are making sure that they are going forward. These people were so intentional about finding the Messiah, not missing him. They're not trying to miss him. They're waiting for him and still are because they lack knowledge. And when we lack knowledge... We're waiting for something that's already happened too. When we're not entering into the testimony of what Jesus has done, then we're a little bit behind the eight ball. And there's all the stuff we can know and enter into and then live from. And what can also happen when we don't have knowledge is we actually reject God. So when God turns up with the reality that's outside of our reference, for whatever reason it might be, we then can deny it. And the Bible says if you deny the power of God, the word of God, Jesus, you will stay in your forms of godliness. 
And the very first verse of what that is, because it's in 2 Timothy 3 verse 7, when you go to 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, it says, in the last days men will be lovers of... Are we in those days? And we're not referring to a world. The mirror always has to come up. We're not talking about people out there. We're talking about people in here. And you have to allow the mirror of the word to shine light into any darkness that's here and here, knowing that you're covered by light. But you can reject that and deny that just like they did because ultimately you're afraid of what might be on the other side of that cross. Well, he says it's full of green pasture. So I received the cross, but I actually haven't lived beyond the cross. So I'm justified, but I'm not entering into the kingdom life that Paul spoke about because I'm not sure what's behind there, and I'm actually trying to hold on to me because I lack knowledge. And what does God say about a people that lack knowledge? They, what, what are you perishing from? Because we seem to be doing quite well. I've got clothes on, I eat well, I train well. What am I perishing from? Because I don't think I'm perishing. My life's good, I've got a great wife, two kids. What's perishing here in the story? True life. So I'm unaware because I lack knowledge of a life I could know. And so when it's presented to me, my heart gets exposed, doesn't it? Which is what it needs to do because the heart is the place of what? Life and understanding. So as Sandra said just then, eyes haven't seen, ear hasn't heard, has not yet entered the heart of man. What? What hasn't yet entered? All that God has prepared because his testimony is finished for those who love God. So what's happening when the word goes out that we don't have a knowledge of, a revealed knowledge, your heart is getting tested for whether you want what you don't have to have, and then God waits to see your response. Do you receive it? To all those God has chosen, receive it. For he has come to give you something to receive, not to deny it. Not to justify. There's only one appropriate response to God, and that's receive. But there is a myriad of dark responses. Hide. Ignore. Deflect. Justify. Excuse. I don't believe. And the list goes on and on, and there's only one. And when he came... They rejected him. They were supposed to receive him because they lacked insight. Now we have the spirit, guys. So there's a testimony that's been going forth from this house of a life that is eternal. And because we may not have that knowledge, God's looking for hungry, thirsty hearts. And so he keeps placing it in front of us, doesn't he? Because the invitation keeps going forth. It's an invitation. Have you laid hold of the invitation? 
Have you laid hold of it with two hands? And so the impact is massive. Like it's catastrophic. It was so powerful that they killed their own Messiah and thought they did God a favour. Saul was thinking he was doing the will of God, wasn't he? Because he lacked knowledge. And the only way to knowledge is to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit who is abiding in you because he reveals from the inside out. He shows what's in God. John, who also wrote 1 John, was shown, correct? Mm. Write down what I show you and send it to the churches. So it's a seeing, hearing, being shown dimension that opens up this thing called the kingdom, which Jesus is the king of, and so then we have a true knowledge and a true knowledge of Jesus Christ that's growing enables a life in Christ. Does anyone want to ask a question from the floor? How big a problem is the flesh? <laughs> uh, great question. How big a problem is the flesh Paul? <laughs> it's huge. We all start in that place. He came into the world and the world didn't know him. He came to the flesh man and the flesh man didn't know him. You know, and that, that verse that um, you were reading out before about Neo hasn't entered into the no, no mind, uh, no eyes see, no ear has heard nor is it into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. He goes, but it has been revealed to us. And so that, that key comes back to the revelation, that everything must be in this, this heart of revelation. All the information we get, it's great, but it has to be revealed both to and in me. And that's, that's my constant prayer now. Lord, what I'm reading, Lord, please reveal this both to and in me. So it's my living reality, not my informational reality. And the flesh doesn't know him. And we come right back to that very, very thing at the start, Greg. Lead them to me. They don't know me. And, I, and I've, look, I've, I've, in, in, the, in the world, not, not in a spiritual context, but it's the same thing out playing. Where I used to work previously, people would come in. This, it got to be a bit of a, a joke about, oh, there's Paul saying, because you don't know what you don't know. And that's your problem. Because right now, you're doing stuff that you don't know is not right, and you'll get caught out. And people were being caught out. They'll end up going, being prosecuted. So a big chunk of my job was communicating to people things that they thought, and this is dealing with areas of legislation and compliance, whatever you, and they thought they knew what it said. It said in black and white, here it is, this, this. It says, yes, but you're reading that out of context and you need something else to help you understand how that applies to what you're doing. Without that context, you're going down the wrong pathway. And then I see that same. Oh, it says here, and they call it black letter law. Oh, there it is. That's what it means. 
Is it, no, you need something actually that's greater than you to actually reveal and explain that to you, reveal it in here. Then it actually becomes life and now can actually live in accordance what the, with what this is saying. So the flesh is a problem because it gets in the way. Um, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. So it's not, it's not by a choice of man or an action of man, but by, of God. It takes him and his spirit. The other thing I'd say is that the flesh opposes the spirit, whether we think it does or not. <laughs> and, and we, he again has to, show us that we can be opposing Christ as Christians. So that Christ comes to crucify the flesh and the flesh says, you're not Christ. And then it's that situation where Christ, the cornerstone, now becomes the stumbling block. And it's that that if we can realise that that happens in us, <laughs> it helps us and to encourage one another that when stuff comes up and we like, like this, well, actually that is just our flesh. And what's coming, what's causing that to come up is not because... He doesn't love us. This is why the next bit that we're going to is so important, that the spirit of sonship is there, that that we know that we are his. We know that we are loved. That we will go into those places that that are really confronting and allow Christ to do what he needs to do, that we understand that is part of our walk. That is part of the discipline. You know, Hebrews 12 is an amazing chapter on the discipline of our Father who loves us, you know, and that we don't, it says, you know, see to it that we don't regard it lightly or, or we, we faint when you are reproved by him. Well, it's only the flesh that's going to do that but he is wanting us to lean into him knowing that the discipline is for our healing and for our wholeness and for our transformation so we've actually become you know like it says all discipline um, for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful (laughs) (laughs) yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields a peaceful fruit, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And, and that is, you know, that's something that is ongoing with us. He has to till the soil. He has to keep on um, bringing to light what's dark and bringing the spirit to come in and to crucify, to actually open up and to to divide what is soul and spirit, what we thought was spirit but actually is soul. He has to reveal that and and this is all part of the process and walking together in this is, you know, 
is the way that we can encourage one another because we all have to be disciplined, every single one of us. In fact, it says if you're not disciplined, then you're not his son. That's a a sign that you're not one of his. So, um, yeah, just keep that in mind. How big is a problem is the flesh? Well, it's actually not insurmountable to him at all. It's not like, you know, we can never know him. He knows full well what we're like totally knows and he's got every way and and every power to set us free so it's not something that that we need to be overwhelmed by we just need to cooperate with his way rather than think that we've got another way you know i love what you said right at the start about the woman at the well he he read her mail he knew and i was thinking wow that's a, it's a really cool way of saying it. He's read her mail. He knows her. Have you read my mail, Lord? So he read Peter's mail. He read the rich man, young ruler's mail. He had read James and John's mail. Where was my lesson on setting fire to cities? <laughs> Why is that in you? And you know, he's continually calling these things up for people to know. And so the, the question, when you said that, the question I was, I was just... Um, rolling over in my heart was do you know I love you if you know that I love you then you're going to be okay with me reading your mail because I'm going to tell you what's in it and the, the finger will come on it and if I know I'm loved by him then I can receive the answer he's going to give me so when you pray a prayer like I want my walk to be authentic. Show me what I don't know and what I think I do know and I'm not right. Here's my heart, Lord. Then he goes to town. If I don't know I'm loved, often like the rich young ruler has got one other option. And I'll scarper. Why? Because I don't know I'm loved. I don't know that you're actually for me because like you said, there's this, there's this great, you know, that the... the um, the, the resurrected life begins on the other side of the cross at the place of that empty tomb. That's where the resurrection life is. But if I don't know I'm loved, why on earth do I want to go anywhere near that? Because there's a much greater life to live and it's a freedom because you're reading my mail. Am I prepared now to receive what you've just told me for this discipline? Now the key words, Paul, is if I don't know, I'm loved. Knowledge again. So like we just said, without that knowledge, you perish. You actually will walk away from what you're supposed to walk into because you're afraid. Because it will ask you to lose you. So on the basis of knowing him, you lose you. It's the knowledge that empowers the loss of you, but it's a gain. And the thing I just heard then was, we cannot use flesh as an excuse. Because he's overcome all flesh. Okay, so that can't be an excuse even though it's a reality in all of us because we are of spirit and flesh. And so it's about which one do you feed. You cannot kill a flesh you're nurturing. If you nurture it, it will grow. He wants to kill it. So he said to John, sorry, to Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from 
and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Now listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen and you do not accept our testimony. We've covered that tonight. We speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen and you do not accept our testimony because there's no reference for it. And this is the challenge for the church, is to receive, accept, honour, believe what's coming forth as God, not man. And then be humble enough to then go after it. To ask the Spirit of God to reveal it within, so then that knowledge is now what I've heard had becomes my knowledge. So I've now heard and understood of a dimension which was spiritual because those of the spirit are not like those of the earth. They come in, they blow as a description. So they are in a suit and they live like you, but they're not of your kind, meaning we are not to be of earth's kind, are we? We carry eternal realities in us. We carry God in us. So we're not to be of the earth. We are to blow in, blow out. People are not to get us. They're not to understand us because they can't. But they can receive from us this eternal word which is loving, gentle, generous. See, we're to be aliens to the earth. We are children of another father. Once started, our father was the devil. Now we have a new father. He's called the father of light. So I know it's getting a little bit late, but I want to ask these guys, what does it actually even mean to be a son? It says we're becoming children of God. Like, What does that even mean? What does it mean to be a child of God? And how do ch- children of God live? We banter it around, don't we? I'm a child of God. I haven't got a clue what it means. I have no idea what it means to live as a child of God. But we'll sing about it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the song, but is the reality that my reality, like do I even know what it is to be a child of God or really am I still a child of man? Like I've got no clue about the inheritance that Paul's praying for and yet it's to shape how I live. So keen to hear, we'll start with you, Sandra. Thoughts around what, what's your revelation of actually what it is to be a child of God, to become a child? I think that the, the crying out to who he is The, the knowing that he's the one that is the, the source. Um, 
the you know it says that the this the spirit of adoption by the spirit of adoption we cry out abba father you know and and there's there's a a heart place where you're home in him and you're no longer um I mean, I say lost, but you can be, you can be, sort of found, but not. You know what I mean? It's like your home, your heart is home, and he's home. And um, the everything now he shows you is life, and everything that you see around you is futile and you realise that unless you receive from him you have nothing and yet he's there to give everything and it's like this start that doesn't have a reference point for the old start it's like the start that always was but but completely sets you apart from the other starts and the other sources. Um, the love that, that accepts you exactly as you are, um, but is constantly showing you what his thoughts are and his ways. So no longer are they sort of God's thoughts and and ways are not my thoughts and and they never will be. It's like now I want to to show you who I am, what I think. What are my thoughts for you? (laughs) Just, Just one thought from me can completely change your life and has done now and do you want more thoughts of me? Or do you, do you know what I mean? You see this contrast um, where life is and where life is not. Is um, a starting point. <laughs> I mean, it's a massive topic, isn't it? Because it's identity. And, you know, I love watching that Lost and Found show. I wish you've seen it. It's a New Zealand guy, bald-headed guy, and he tracks down people's family and... And I can't watch that without bawling my eyes out. Every session, I just find myself crying because you see children, 50-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old, 20-year-old children looking for their father or mother. And the common theme is this, I'm not complete. And they find them and they, different words, I've come home. Like there's something that happens just purely in the physical, not even talking spiritual, physically, when that child that for whatever reason has been separated from their parent, they don't even physically know the person. But there's something that happens when they get reunited. And of course the emotions come out, they flood out, and everyone's crying and it's beautiful, but... Sometimes, you know, it says they haven't seen them again. But there's a connection that's made because 
we all have a father. Like there is no such thing as orphans. It's just you just don't know your parent. And this is this tension. And so it's like, what does it mean to become a child? I was 29 years of age when I was introduced to Jesus Christ through himself introducing me. You know, 29 years, that's a number of years to formulate an identity, a sense of meaning, purpose, all those things brought up in the Simnor home and the culture. And now I have to relearn everything. Because now I've entered into another dimension called the eternal, even though I'm on earth, and it's entered into within me. And I have a brand new father that I didn't know that now I now know. And he's sharing things with me about who I am. But because my life is concealed in Christ before the foundations of the earth, I really haven't got a clue who I really am in Christ. Because all I know is Greg Simnel of the flesh. But he starts telling me, son, I dreamt about you and created you in my son before the foundations of the earth. And just like I was concealed from you for 29 years, you were also concealed from you because you were in me. And so we were one big concealment. And now I have revealed myself to you, so you're no longer concealed to me. I'm revealed. Now I want to reveal who you are to you, who I say you are because I... I birthed you, I chose you. And if we can get a revelation of this, trust me, you would never ever struggle with rejection. You never would. Because what you're doing or what you've done is you're looking for the other person to accept you. And when they don't, you feel rejected. And that hurts, eh? But when the one who says, I will never reject you, and I already accepted you before you lived... And you get a revelation of that through the Holy Spirit in the place of understanding your heart. Do you know what it does? It puts so much power in you, armor in you, that when people say stuff, you go, I don't care. That dart is not impacting this heart because the armor, Christ, is fully up because I got a revelation that I was accepted before you even rejected me. You never accepted me. You can't reject me. He accepted me. He'll never reject me. And see, this is this whole thing about growing as a child. Never mind what we've said or what I've said about inheritance of the saints. If we don't get this down, that will just be a lofty reality out there somewhere. Like we have to start from the beginning, yeah? Hence, what does he say? Come to me as a child. He says, be converted. And unless you're converted to become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not be able to enter into this reality because as an adult at 29, Greg, you're still in the way. You see, I come as a 29-year-old man who thinks he knows best. But that got me to be broken. So for me personally, I discovered I didn't know best at 29 the day I met him because thinking I know best got me to the place of brokenness. So I was ready to receive a brand new reality that I had no idea about and then through resurrected power it was implanted into me. And so for the last 
22 years I've been discovering what is it really to be a son of God and to live as a son of God and to grow as a child of God because I don't want to reject him and I don't want to reject who he says I am and I don't want to reject how he says I can live. So it's essential, isn't it? And yet we see a group of people who did, guys. We see a group of people that were marked to be subjects of a kingdom and weren't. And so then he turned to another group of people and went, I'm going to make one group out of two. I haven't forgotten about those other people. But I'm calling you people to become children and to grow up in my family. And that's what makes perfect sense of when you read scriptures like, you're not my brother, you're not my mother. See, it's highly offensive to the flesh, isn't it? Flesh gives life to flesh, spirit gives life to spirit. The more we're in the spirit, that is not offensive, that is life-giving. Because you're in the spirit and you're growing as a child in the spirit so you understand the spiritual word when it's spoken. You don't get offended, you go, amen, give me more of that. And then you live that. Now that can cause offense to everybody who's fleshly, who are family members of yours. Doesn't matter if you're married to them, you've given life to them, they've given life to you. Flesh and spirit are in opposition. And so there's this dimension, and every time you hear the something of the spirit, if it's you're in the spirit, growing in the spirit, it's life giving. It doesn't matter what it is, lay your life down is life giving. Love one another is life giving. Do not think of yourself before others is life giving because it's the seed of heaven, it's the way of heaven, and the way of heaven and the seed of heaven produces the life of heaven. So to wrestle with that stuff is to be in the flesh, isn't it? And once again, that's okay, but to not surrender and to walk away is then to continue to live from the flesh. Which means, is that what a child of God does? No. You're still a child of God. You don't lose what he's done, but you're not living as a child of God, are you? You're living as a slave who actually is called to be a son. So your demonstration is of a slave, of an orphan, but you're no longer an orphan because you have a father. And this is the challenge of continually being in Christ and Christ in you and letting the Holy Spirit reveal all things that are contained within the person. And this is what you're seeing in the entirety of John. John, John, Jesus, testifying of a dimension that is in the person. And when we're in the person, we get that same dimension. So insecurity, gone. Jealousy, gone. Lack of poor self-identity, gone. All the things that cause issues, gone. Because they all ultimately come from thought life and what we don't have. And when you realize what you've been given, 
but you haven't yet been able to access what you've been given, he says, well, do you want to seek, ask, and knock so you can lay hold of what is right here in front of you? Lady, you've come here your entire life with a bucket, and you will continue to come here with your bucket, and I can quench the thirst. You, lady, have married five men you're on to your sixth looking to quench your thirst. It has nothing to do with water and everything to do with the lack of what's in her heart that he's identifying. You are looking to quench your thirst in mankind. Now, in her context, it's purely just a man. What is it in mine? Is it possessions? Is it money? Is that the thing? See, Jesus knows. He's read our mail and he knows exactly what every one of you need. He's loving us while he's wanting to touch on areas of our life to bring what? The wellspring of life within you. So he comes and he goes, I'm going to touch this one thing. It might be three things for others. One thing. Isn't that what he said to the rich young ruler? There's one thing you still lack. See, we think it's all about his money. No, it was the love of himself. I want to touch the fact that you're the God of your life. You ain't touching that. See you later. Even though I've apparently kept your commandments. No, you didn't. You just thought you did. Hey, lady, go get your husband. If you want this living water, if you want to become a child of mine, if you want to become one with me, I'm here for you. You're a Samaritan. We shouldn't even be having this dialogue right now because on the earth we don't get on and you don't like me and I'm not supposed to like you. I'm not a Jew. I'm Jesus. What are you doing talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm Jesus. There's a difference between a Jew and Jesus, isn't there? I'm not saying he wasn't Jewish, but he's Jesus. Like he's not a Jew, he's Jesus. And Jesus loves and wants this woman free. So he interacts. Now here's the thing, we don't know whether she went and got her husband, do we? The Bible doesn't tell us that. We love to end that story going, it's so amazing because then she went off and then she got her other people and they were, Actually, we don't know whether she did what he said to do. We don't know whether she came into the wellspring of life. It doesn't say I hope she did. The point isn't what she's doing. The point is what we're doing. When he turns up and he puts his finger on something and says, if you want a never thirst again and you want water that I can give, then it must be my way. And I will build you to be my child and a son like the son. And then you'll walk in the manner in which my son walked. Because as he was, we are to be on this earth, correct? And perfect love casts out all fear, correct? So there's a reality to enter into through the eternal divine word. This is what he's doing and wants to do. He's here tonight. Like he is so here, wanting to give you water that you'll never ever thirst again. Wanting to give you bread that you'll never ever go hungry again. The question he asks is, do we want that? 
but it will come with a cost. It will come. Go get your husband then if you want the living water. There's an exchange. Not because he's trying to hurt us, he's trying to bring us into life. So he sees, he reads the mail. He says, I'm the solution. I got the problem to every single thing. I'm the solution. And he waits. I just sense the prayer, that's all right. God, I thank you that you're all things. And even though you've come and you continue to come, and sometimes in our lack of knowledge we justify or we excuse or we're afraid or whatever it is, you still come. You see beyond the behavior. You have this capacity that I love you for to see beyond the fear, the no, the rejection. Lord, you see beyond and you keep coming, just like you did with Peter. When you prayed after he'd been sifted that his faith wouldn't leave him. And you believe all things for us, God. You believe way more than what we believe for ourselves. Lord, I pray tonight and from this morning that we as a family will respond in a way that is appropriate to your kingdom dimension. I pray, God, that we would be found like Mary at your feet and not be like her sister who didn't know how to be still, but you wanted her to know what it is to be still, so you called her, invited her over to sit at your feet, but she rejected. She said, I'm too busy doing works for you. She wanted to get out of the reality that you were calling her into because she lacked knowledge. Father, build your church. I pray that she would be vulnerable before you. I pray that she would be transparent before you and one another. God, I pray that we would understand the purpose of true discipleship here as a value of us as a family. And that we would place ourselves in situations and environments that are very vulnerable. And we would all come knowing that without you, none of us are worthy. Coming humbly before you for you to build us. You are God. And we are your bride who you're wanting to be spotless and blameless. So the testimony has gone forth, Father, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we leave here, that we would seek, ask, and knock. We would marinate in what has been declared. We would sit in it after day after day and with you, ask you to open up this eternal reality, this kingdom that is here on earth that you brought with you for us to see and know and live from. So bless your name. Bless your name.